You are listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We got a we got a stupid one for you today. Oh, it's stupid. It's stupid mostly because it's happening. Uh, but you know, <laughs> here we are. Uh, I am calling in to Sam Dingman from uh, actually Baltimore, Maryland right now. Uh, I'm sitting on an Amtrak train about to head on to the District of Columbia. Um, and, you know, facing, sitting here in Baltimore knowing that there is a baseball game being played at Baltimore, um, in Baltimore, and then knowing that I have to move on to continue on to the political silliness of Washington, D.C., with its IRS scandals and its 37th executive vote to repeal Obamacare from the House of Representatives. It, it, it strikes me, Sam, that we should really just let the, let the warm and gentle waters of sport slip over us for a few moments here and anesthetize the brain just so we can, uh, we can get through the rest of this day. I would be, I would be strongly in favor of that, uh, and I, I think that it speaks well of our Orioles podcast that we have a correspondent in Baltimore during a game who is not at the stadium. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm I'm like one of those those war correspondents who sits sits in the hotel the entire time and uh, doesn't actually go out on the street and see what's happening. You green zoning bastard! Indeed, indeed. Um, so we're not, it's not exactly as if Sam himself is bunkered in our usual Hootenanny studios. No, no. I I should point out to the listeners that uh, you can you can see a picture of uh, both Alan and I's current location as we roll tape. If you go over to baltimoreonspodcast.com, I am hiding in a conference room at my office, and I'm pretty sure that anyone who walks by behind me, uh, my back is to the door, can see. Um, what I'm doing here, which clearly has nothing to do with my day job because it involves a portable mixer, uh, a USB audio <laughs> interface, and a very messy notebook. Ah, uh, well, it's <laughs> not a perfect system. Here we are, despite these trials and tribulations, on episode 50, half a century, L in Roman numerology, the big five O. Very exciting to be uh, 50 episodes into this uh, community experience with all y'all, um, and were this podcast a person, we would be over the hill. <laughs> were Baltimore on the marriage, this would be our gold anniversary. Oh man! And were this podcast a caliber, it would be a very large bullet. <laughs> uh, I also want to point out that if we were a pope, we would be Anastasius II, uh, and that five O is the number of cents it takes to make a decent wrapper and a warning for when the fuzz is on the way. So clearly, this will be a very auspicious episode. Well, Alan, uh, I'm glad that we're not the Pope, um, but since you've invoked... Are you? Uh, Are you? I think, we, I think we could do great things as the Pope, you and I. That's true. That's true. But but that does lead into what I was going to say, which is that I do sometimes feel like we're married, and it is a very happy marriage. So here's to you on our golden anniversary. <laughs> May there be uh, hundreds and hundreds more. <laughs> yes. Let's let's go ahead and set the record, if not for longest marriage, um, perhaps uh, longest consecutive number of ineptly produced Orioles-themed podcasts. I think we're already pushing close to that record. <laughs> That's true. I, uh, I, I believe I, I have Guinness on the other line. Well, we 
have a lot to uh, a lot to get to in the 50th episode, including a exciting interview coming up a little bit later on in the show. Yes, indeed, we'll be speaking with Kelsey Weinrich, Cardinal fan, about how to behave uh, as a fan of a baseball team that's a dynasty, but in a classy way. Obviously, we'd never ask Yankees <laughs> fans about that, uh, so we've decided to go with Cardinals fans. But we'll get to that in a little bit. First up. Um, Alan, I, I don't know if you've been noticing this on the television broadcasts of the Orioles games played in Baltimore this year, but attendance has been looking a little low, anecdotally speaking. Um, I would say by a little bit low, you mean nigh non-existent. <laughs> I, Alan and I have remarked to each other many times, as perhaps you have remarked to your, um, uh, Orioles life partner, um, as to the <laughs> small number <laughs> of fans filling the the green seats and i that was bothering me a lot i was feeling pretty concerned because i was like look we have we had a great season last year obviously we got a great team on our hands so far this year um don't people realize that we're building something special here in baltimore why aren't they showing up because lord knows if alan and i lived within a hundred miles we would be there although (laughs) alan is within two miles and isn't today but we'll ignore that (laughs) <laughs> we'll ignore that for the purpose of this lead-in. Um, so uh, one thing I thought, Alan, is do you think perhaps, and I'm, this is an actual question I'm asking you and not just the uh, poorly written copy that I've prepared, um, do you think that people aren't going because there is a general trend in America away from attending large events as a collective? I tell you, man, if you look at uh, where we are in terms of HD televisions, where we are in terms of the uh, you know the general ability to get whatever we want live at our fingertips from MLB TV on down, um, it makes a certain amount of sense. You know, there's there's a certain logic to the uh, stay at home, sit on the couch, don't have to deal with the crowds or the obnoxious parking or any of the other uh, less positive things about attending a, a game, and uh, you know just hang out and, and let people, let, let the amazing high-definition television take you to a little bit closer and a little bit more in-depth than you'd ever get from the nosebleeds anyway. Well, I thought the same thing, Alan, and it turns out we are both incorrect, as usual, because <laughs> in, the year 2000, in the year shocked. 2012, I know, I know, I, and uh, uh, I, I think all of our listeners are equally surprised. Intern Scotty is perhaps most surprised of all. Um, but uh, you'll be you'll be surprised to know that movie theaters set a single year record for ticket sales in 2012. Broadway theaters did the same. Uh, concert ticket revenue tripled in the 10 year period between 1999 and 2009. And most relevant to this conversation, the Orioles are drawing slightly more fans per game on average than they did last year. Okay, but let's be fair. Uh things about last year. First of all, at this point last year, no one believed in this Baltimore Orioles team at all. Whereas this year, there's a little bit the inkling of, of faith. Second of all, when you talk about the cost of or, or revenue gathering, I don't think you actually get a, a good definition of um, people attending because prices for all of the things you just mentioned in that same period of time have gone up so much faster than the cost of living that it Bears noting that people are now mortgaging the home to buy a Baltimore season ticket package, whereas <laughs> before that used to be something that you could afford with, you know, about the same amount of money you could 
get together to, to take the train to the game. Sure, sure. I'm a little bit dubious about the overall claim that revenue is a uh, is a, a fair indicator in terms of uh, in terms of attendance. That is a that is a fair I point. Am, that is a fair I point. Surprised that um, that movie theater tickets are are so high up. That 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 to me would have been like the the prime example of the wait till it comes out on video and watch it in my own home system with surround sound things that I thought was going on. Yeah, well, well, I, I mean, I think the sad lesson there is that uh, movie theaters or uh, movie studios, more accurately, have just figured out how to successfully market to us to get us to come back out to the theater. See Hangover mm-hmm. Three. Um, <laughs> but uh, but in in slight rebuttal to your point, one thing all these articles that I found did point out is that um, while while revenues are up, the number of tickets sold is also up slightly, though not as dramatically uh, as the revenues. Uh, the same actually for concert tickets and uh, Broadway theater tickets. Um, so the point here is that. Uh, the reason I wanted in my head when I looked out at the, the stands and saw that the that they were mostly empty is that I wanted people to realize that we're building a dynasty. We have a dynasty building in Baltimore. But oh, for sure. then I realized we don't <laughs> yet <laughs> no. have a dynasty on our hands. Um, and more accurately, I think, Alan, we don't know what we have. This situation sure. that we're in in Baltimore right now is uncharted territory in our lifetimes. The Orioles were a certifiable dynasty from the mid-60s to the late 70s, but then were bad for most of the 80s and the early 90s. They were rock solid and even great from 92 to 97, but then were truly abysmal for the next 14 years. Right. So what this this whole little um, uh, research project (laughs) has taught me is that... (laughs) Actually, I think the most exciting thing going on in Baltimore right now is the six-year contract extensions that we gave to Duquette and Showalter, because that's a very serious investment in making these promising last 13 months or whatever it is into something that is real and is longstanding and will eventually, among other things, bring the sellout crowds back to Camden Yards, in my opinion. I'm with you. I'm with you. My my only other point there would be that uh, the other thing that makes me believe that we have a little something-something on our hands that's more exciting than just a, a, a flash in the pan is that Manny Machado has apparently morphed into a disgusting superhuman being. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And, and none, of this, uh, none of this, again, truly, truly spectacular statistical analysis that I have conducted here um, is intended to... to um, uh, what am I trying to say? Is intended to lessen the, the import of all of the actual on-field products. But it is, <laughs> I guess, uh, intended to, um, I guess, just kind of position what's happening historically for me um, and mm-hmm. for the organization, I think, because uh, they're really, as, as I've divided them up there, and obviously I'm sure many of our listeners will have quibbles with the way I've divided it up, but we have there what, uh, so we have the 50s, uh, the mid-50s and mid-60s when the team first came into existence. That's era one. Then we have the mid-60s to the late 70s, that's era two. Then we have the 80s and early 90s, that's three. Early 90s to late 90s would be four. Um, the 14-year drought that dare not speak its name would be five. So let, let's call this, um, just because I enjoy playing the game The Elder Scrolls, let's call this the sixth era. And the, the sixth era doesn't really have, I would say, 
a, a clear precedent because the team hasn't existed for long enough. Um, and I think before we start uh, complaining about our Baltimore-based brethren not going to the games, we need to kind of <laughs> recognize <laughs> that um, it, when you look at things historically, uh, there's still just as much chance that what's happening right now will crater um, as there is that it will lead to uh, the the glory an, another another round of glory days. Uh, I, I I'm with you. I just feel as though if it's going to crater, shouldn't and I don't think that it is, and I think that you're correct in this analysis. But shouldn't we uh, get to the yard as much as possible <laughs> then? <laughs> this is a a two year window of before another fifteen years of darkness. <laughs> well, you forget that in those fourteen years, people uh, developed other interests. Um, you know, uh, perhaps some of them took up, uh, curling or, uh, cro- croquet, what I was going to say crochet and croquet and then nothing came out. Um, so I've apparently taken up, uh, linguistics, but, um, uh, no, I mean, I agree. I agree. And I, I think, uh, it, it's, I think it, a lot of what hap- what's going on here is that it sort of speaks to the fact that we being so separated from the team all the time wish right. always that we could be there more especially when they're doing well but people who uh, are more responsible orioles fans and have taken it upon themselves to reside in baltimore um i think uh have a little bit maybe higher barrier to clear than we do i mean you know we it, as baseball fans we should be going to yankee stadium and city field quite more regularly than we are but we have nothing invested in that um right and orioles fans uh, before, I, it seems to me at least, and I'd be interested to hear from our listeners in Baltimore about this. You can go to baltimoreonspodcast.com, click on contact and get in touch with us. Uh, but I'd be interested to know if you're staying away from the park, why that is and what it'll take to make you go back regularly. Right. Now, the other thing, Alan, before we get to our interview is that I was, that I was hoping uh, folks would contact us about is... As Alan and I mentioned, uh, today's episode is being recorded under fairly ridiculous circumstances. Um, again, I am hiding in a conference room in my office <laughs> um, with all of my recording gear and gizmos plugged in here. There are people behind me talking about uh, Q3 forecasts and such matters. Um, Alan is on an Amtrak train, um, and it, it got me to thinking that much like... Uh, our love for the Orioles has led us to podcast under very strange circumstances today. Um, it has also led us, and I'm sure all of you, to uh, go to great lengths either to listen to games or to attend games or maybe to record podcasts of your own. Um, and so we'd love to hear about the strangest and greatest lengths that you went to, to uh, at any point in your life to do that. Um, again, you can go to baltimoreonspodcast.com and click on contact to let us know about those, and we will read some of the best ones. Or, or you can also call us, actually, 909-RIB-WARS. Leave us a voicemail, tell us the tale, and we'll hopefully share those on episode 51. And, you know, in, in, a, in a day of multimedia, and uh, like we were saying before, having games sort of available at the tips of your fingers at all times, um, it, it, there's, there's a little bit less of the hiding under the, the comforter with the AM, FM radio uh, <laughs> after your parents have put you to bed. Thing yep. that there maybe used to be, but uh, I still think that I, for one, have done a bunch of very silly things to watch Orioles games, and the beyond <laughs> recorded the current podcast, I was unable to get a stream going um, 
on my phone while the Orioles were playing the Yankees uh-huh. uh, in, in last year's uh, AL first round. Um, and I was uh, able to, I was not able to listen, but I was able to get text messages. So I had someone literally sending me a text for every pitch, uh, <laughs> which ended up in tears and sadness as Raul Abadez did his dirty, dirty work. Yes. Who, uh, who was it that you, that you charged with this, this holy task of texting you game breaks of <laughs> one of the Orioles? Man. A young man named Drew Morrison, mm. uh, who is a, a junior at Yale University. Wow. Uh, although he is also a, uh, a staunch um, uh, crusader in many of the progressive worlds that I move in. Oh, okay. And also a, uh, a child of Prince George's. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> See, first I misheard that. First I was like, I thought you were saying he was the actual child of a prince named George. And I was like, there's got to be a story there. And then I realized you meant he is just local to the city of Baltimore. Indeed. In Indeed. origin. All right, Alan Smith. Well, uh, you have confused and delighted me as usual. I look forward to our next 50 episodes together. Let's jump into a quick discussion now with uh, Tartnell's fan, who will teach us how to comport ourselves with some manner of dignity and uh, aplomb as the Orioles move toward the uh, dynasty which Sam has just predicted for us. Indeed. You're listening to Baltimoreans. My name is Prince George. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, due to some technical difficulties, we have lost Alan Smith. He is somewhere in an Amtrak tunnel, and I hope that he emerges one day. But in the meantime, on with the show. We are very privileged to have Kelsey Shea Weinrich on the line. Kelsey was one of my favorite uh, people that I met at the MLB Fan Cave finalist Shebango over there in Arizona. And more importantly than that, Kelsey is a Cardinals fan, and as Alan and I have been trying to process a reality in which the Orioles might be headed towards becoming a dynasty, uh, if there's any organization I would like them to model themselves after, it would be the Cardinals, and so Kelsey, tonight I ask you to speak for the benevolent dynasty fans the world over. Are you comfortable with that? Oh, I I think I can handle it. (laughs) Okay, good, good. Um, do you think of the Cardinals as a dynasty? Is that something you consciously, um, a way you consciously characterize them in your head? I do. I mean, uh, obviously I'm biased, but I, I, I tend to think of us in that way. We have won the most championships behind the Yankees, and uh, a lot of America seems to not like the Yankees anyway. So I do think we are, are one of the more likable teams that, uh, that does, that does win year after year. We, we make the playoffs a lot, and it's expected in St. Louis. It's very much a baseball town, uh, and I think those are all, all key things that, uh, that make us a dynasty. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing thing. You guys have won, uh, is it 11 world championships, if I'm not mistaken? Uh-huh. Um, 11 and 11. 
<laughs> yep. And I was I was looking up today uh, on baseballreference.com, and I think the last time the Cardinals finished south of third place in the standings was 1999. Um, it, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, it's an unbelievable run of success. And despite all of this, uh, Cardinals fans, at least to my knowledge, do not have the horrible reputation that Yankees fans have. Uh, that we spend 45 minutes deriding pretty much every week on our show. I, in some ways, I think our show is more about hating on Yankee fans than about talking about the Orioles <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> um, you probably you, gain a lot of listeners that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think... Uh, do you agree that Cardinals fans like enjoy a, a kind of glowing reputation as, as benevolent... Um, individuals and and if you do where do you think that comes from i do um one thing that springs to mind is a lot of people call us the best fans in baseball and of course you know every city considers their fans to be the best fans so we kind of have a reputation for that nickname and they start shortening it to bfib uh so if you hear people refer to bfib it's probably st louis is talking about us ah, fans. Um, certain segments so of my once, twitter feed are starting to make more sense ah there you go <laughs> One thing that, uh, that especially springs to mind is there was an article in, uh, I think it was ESPN, uh, during the 2011 World Series, and that they, they had heard all these great things about how Cardinals fans are, are so nice, um, even though we are, we are spoiled, I'll admit that. And, uh, <laughs> and so they, they kind of went undercover, I guess, as a, as a Rangers fan. This guy did it in order to write this article, and he went to Bush Stadium during, uh, during the World Series and tried to basically, like, Get Cardinals fans angry and uh, <laughs> and uh, dressed in his Rangers gear and and I think it was a uh, one specific person he went up to and was like you know uh, you guys are gonna lose tonight you know and trying to like really get her mad and uh, and she was just like oh I think so but but good luck with that you know <laughs> <laughs> everyone's entitled so to their own opinions <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like oh no that's not gonna happen but but that's cute that you think that you know and. Uh, but in, uh, yeah, we're 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 generally a pretty polite fan base, and um, and I think part of it is just the midwestern uh, sensibility in some sure, ways. And, sure. Um, the Cardinals are very, you know, we're very like, clean cut, um, good guys for the most part. You know, we're we're known for that, and and yeah, I I would probably attribute that to to the Midwest. Ah, so you think it's it's maybe more regional than. Um than anything else. But uh, that is interesting, though, because, you know, uh, one of the things that always drives me so nuts about Yankees fans, and now I'm I'm doing that again. I've turned it into a hate-on-Yankees fan show, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why, why, uh, why interrupt a good thing? Um, the, uh, exactly. The thing that Alan and I and others are always kind of uh, giving Yankees fans a hard time about is that they're, um, they're, for people who have nothing to be defensive about, according to them, they're incredibly defensive, um, and uh-huh. uh, I think it's interesting that, I mean, it seems much more classy to me to approach it the way you're saying Cardinals fans do, which is just to say, yeah, we know we're awesome, but we don't feel a need to wear it on our sleeves all the time. If you disagree, you're entitled to that opinion. We'll allow the on-field product to bear it out. Um, do, you think uh-huh. that, do you think that any of that is a conscious attempt um, to not be like Yankee fans, or is that maybe going taking it a, a bridge too far? Um, I don't. I don't know if I would say that necessarily. I think it's an attempt to always stay classy, um, because mm. that's one thing. I mean, our 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 organization does have this long, long history 
And I feel like that is something that we're known for, and we that's something that we're proud of and that we want to keep up. Um, I also think that, like, uh, we, we do, we're, we're very proud of our team, but in, in maybe a different way. Um, you know, like the Yankees, New York has so many, so many amazing things, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Broadway and, and, you know, it's New York. Everyone wants to go to New York. Right. And St. Louis, uh, one of the things, one of the reasons that I think the Cardinals are so big in St. Louis is because that, that is what we have. That's what we're known for. Uh, um, okay. You know, like. If you talk about going to St. Louis, you'll say, yeah, sure, go up in the arch. But but generally, the first or second thing you'll say is you have to go to the stadium. Um, mm. And and that's the Cardinals have had this winning tradition for as long as St. Louis has been in existence. So that's uh, yep. it's very much part of, uh, part of who we are and part of what we're proud of. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that plays into it as well. It's funny. I, I have to point I, – I think that's an excellent point. But I also have to uh, – I have to point out that – <laughs> In in answering the question of uh, w- whether or not Cardinals fans are trying to not be like Yankees fans, you did this very polite thing where you paid our city a compliment and said, "Well, you know, we don't we don't have as much going for us over here in St. Louis, so maybe we we have to uh, you know focus on the team a little more." <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's yeah. I mean, I, I I love St. Louis, but that is that's definitely very much part of our national identity. I would say is the Cardinals because. Yeah, the way that we get the most exposure as a city on right. a national level. So, so with all of that, with the fact that you, um, as Cardinals fans, you have this consciousness of yourselves as kind of stewards of this excellent reputation that the baseball team enjoys. What would you say has been your reaction, and what's your your take on what the Cardinal Cardinal Nation's reaction has been? to the changing of the guard, if you will, the departure of Tony Larusa and Dave Duncan, um, which was such an unbelievable run of success. Um, do you mm-hmm. do you think people feel like the the dynasty is in danger, if you will? I don't think I don't think people feel that way necessarily. I feel like there was definitely uh, a changing of the guard feeling, a new era feeling. Mm-hmm. And and we were excited about that. You know, we had the Whitey era and uh, we've had the Tony era. And both were extremely successful, so I don't think uh, just because Tony and Dave Duncan and Albert Pujols have left doesn't mean we aren't still going to be successful. And right. and I think we saw that last year with our NLCS appearance. And, yes, um, indeed. <laughs> and right now we have the best record in baseball. So <laughs> I think and, and Cardinals fans, we loved. I think we loved that we kept it in the family. You know, Jeannie yeah. had uh, been with the organization before, so as long like I when we when we uh, keep it in the family, we feel very comfortable with that. <laughs> so uh, I don't think there was too much yep. feeling of uh, of that going away. See, there again, uh, a sort of a return to the Midwestern ideal of uh, the family unit. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, actually, if you don't mind, switching gears ever so slightly... Um, what would you say, uh, as somebody who, as I said, uh, was one of my fellow finalists for the MLB Fan Cave in 2013, did meeting uh, diehard fans of other teams uh, affect your perception of yourself as a fan in any way? Did it make you self-conscious about anything? Did it, um, did it make you proud of, of something that you do that maybe you didn't see reflected in other fans? Um, no, it does. It definitely does have an effect. I mean, the fan cave has has opened me up to the rest of baseball in some ways. Um, because growing up in a city that is so Cardinals driven, um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of Cardinals fans 
um, they love baseball as a whole, but we're very single-minded. We love our Cardinals, and we want to uh, pay attention to them all the time. So, so meeting other people definitely opened me up uh, to thinking about uh, other teams more often, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's also been interesting, too, uh, just to see other teams uh, talking to people on Twitter and, you know, of course, fan cave people as well. Um, to see other people's perceptions of the Cardinals, you know, because in my eyes they can do no wrong. Right. And uh, I feel like, I think everybody feels that about their team, you know. Sure. And uh, especially last year during the NLCS, there was a, it seemed to me that there was a lot of people kind of uh, hating on the Cardinals because we'd had so much success. And then uh, yeah. here we go again, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and so that was interesting that I, I feel like that opened my eyes up just a little bit to... Uh, to the world outside as well, and their their perception of my team, maybe in the Yankees kind of way, you know, right. these people are winning again kind of sentiment, and yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I don't think I would have experienced that had I not made the connections I did uh, with the fan case for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You kind of uh, all of a sudden you get a sense of the way the way that you're perceived. Um, I, uh-huh. I think it's interesting too, though, that you you characterize it as uh, feeling like you know feeling most of the time like your team can do no wrong um because i think mm-hmm. you, you know for me um i sort of i i think that the way that i think about the orioles is actually that they can and for most of my life have done exclusively wrong and then for some reason <laughs> you know the last year and a couple of months they every time it seems like they're about to go off the rails again they aren't for some reason and i i like don't understand that headspace um uh-huh. And, uh, but the thing that was cool about the fan cave experience was realizing, like kind of getting back in touch with my, um, inner unvarnished optimist about things. Um, because everybody uh-huh. there, I think, you know, was, is obviously very smart about baseball and is well-versed in the strengths and weaknesses of their team. And yet we all, and well, what I perceived in everybody else was this ability to still be extremely joyful about what there is to be joyful about, um, Oh, definitely. And that's something that I think I had uh, maybe lost my way with a little bit um, <laughs> mm-hmm. during the during the drought. Um, has there been any period, uh, any like sustained period in your Cardinals fandom where you thought um, that things were about to go downhill? Um, I d- I don't know if I would say any sustained period, as in like a, a year or or so. I mean, there there have been years, of course, where we didn't make the playoffs, and that was that's just <laughs> to be honest, that is always kind of shocking to Cardinals <laughs> fans, especially in my generation. Yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, talk about unfamiliar headspaces. You're like not in playing baseball in October. What what is this? Yeah, yeah. What is this? I don't understand. <laughs> what and do people course, do in October? It's um, not always when I've been alive. When I've been alive, we've been very lucky, and uh, I'm, I'm, I've been lucky as a fan to see a lot of that. Um, but there's definitely uh, times throughout the season, uh, as there are with any team, you know, where the Cardinals do seem to, to all, you know, go on a bad hitting streak uh, or have bad luck at the plate all at the same time or things like that or, or collapse at the end of this past uh, NLCS, times like that where where I do kind of like, you know, sit back and think, are we really on the right track? Um to me, so far, at least the answer is always yes, because I do think we have some really, uh, really great people working in our office uh, who who set us up for a lot of uh, success in the future too with our farm system. So, 
Yeah, that, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But <laughs> That's the thing I have to say is unbelievable to me is, I, in my understanding of things, the way it's supposed to work is, yeah, your team is good for a decade or so, but that means you're not getting very good draft picks. So inevitably, things have to turn around in the other direction. But you guys have Shelby Miller, mm-hmm. you guys have Oscar Tavares, um, and David Freeze and Alan Craig have come up through your system, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, mm-hmm. I was I was told... <laughs> That at some point your fortunes were supposed to turn around, um, and that just seems to <laughs> you keep. You would think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and now, speaking of organization, um, organizational uh, philosophies. Since I have you on the phone, I, I just have to ask because I've never actually gotten to ask a Cardinals fan about this. What do you think uh-huh. when you look at what the Pujols negotiation and the way that he's playing in Anaheim now? What What are your emotions about it? Um, it's interesting that you bring this up because I was actually uh, talking to an Angels fan about this on Twitter last night. Someone I don't know who we just kind of struck up a conversation about it. But um, oh, interesting. I mean, I I will I will always love Albert. Like he he uh, gave so many wonderful things to St. Louis, and I I know that he still loves St. Louis. You know, his family still lives there, and um and we did get his best years. I think that um I'm I'm glad that we didn't pay him tons and tons of money because we were just able you know to. Uh, to sign Wayno and uh, and Yachty and these people who I don't think we would have been able to sign if we paid right. Albert and uh, and he is you know he's declining he's going to decline because um, <laughs> that's that's just what happens he's never gonna he's not going to be as good as he was with his first you know ten years with us so um, I, I hope that he does amazing for the Angels I know that he's uh, he is going to do great things for them. Uh, and I think it's a class act too that I, I have heard him say or, or read about him saying that he uh, he will bow out. I guess you would say um, the minute he stops being valuable to the team, because yeah. people were worried about his decline. So um, knowing what he's done in the past, knowing what he's how he's been around the St. Louis community, I I believe that he is a class act, and he'll he'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking to my dad about this. My dad is a lapsed Orioles fan who has since adopted the Nationals. Um, but so gotcha. he he he, of course, has decided that that makes him uh, an expert in all things National League. Um, but uh, <laughs> his his feeling about the what was brilliant about the way the Cardinals front office played the Pujols negotiation is that they basically decided we need to offer him enough money that the fans know that we made a serious effort to keep him here and that his reasons were leaving mm-hmm. had to do with his own personal feelings about how much money he deserved to make and how long the contract was supposed to be and and whatever. Um, so they, they somehow managed to thread this incredible needle of not overcommitting money to a ball player who is historically talented but, as you say, is inevitably going to decline – but also uh, making the fans feel like they did their best to keep him around. Um, now, this, of course, yeah. uh, just infuriates me because <laughs> the the <laughs> Orioles the, the Orioles can't keep their top pitching prospects healthy, let alone cultivate one into the greatest player in baseball and then uh, have him depart in a classy way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were their exact uh, line of thought. I mean... Mosley, like, always impresses me. I feel like he knows the team so well, and he knows exactly what we need, and he knows he knows what the team is going to look like, you know, in X number of years. He's got it all, like, figured out, which is uh, is always really nice. I feel like, you know, I, I will always feel, as long as he's there, um, 
and, and probably forever because I feel like we make good decisions in who we hire, but uh, I'll right. always feel like the Cardinals are in good hands. Yeah, I, and that um, that's kind of uh, that's probably a great note to end on because earlier in the show this evening I was saying to Alan that I feel like what is actually the most exciting thing about the Orioles' run of success is that in, over the last year and a couple of months is that they have finally made an investment in the off the field personnel who seem to have created that success. And as you say, mm-hmm. it's that confidence that makes you feel like the future and the present are bright, as opposed to giant yeah. contracts for free agents or whatever. Yeah, it's the best place to start. Find people who know who know the team and know what to do for you. So. Cool. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, shepherding me through this, this phase of the process of becoming a a dynastic baseball fan. Uh, everybody should check out Kelsey on Twitter. It's Kelsey Shea 11. I'll put up a link to that at baltimoreonspodcast.com. And you also write for Bleacher Report, if I'm not mistaken. I do, yeah. I mainly cover the Cardinals, but sometimes the NL Central as well. You can find me on there, uh, Kelsey Shea Weinrich. Excellent. And I will put up a link to that as well. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Baltimoreans. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, the show this evening is sponsored by our listener, Jen. Now, if you would like to sponsor a segment, you can go over to baltimoreonspodcast.com and click on Sponsor a Segment. What that entitles you to do is what you're about to hear from Jen, which is to have us read a message from you that we are not allowed to alter in any way. And it's going to pain me to say hers, but she paid us some money to do it, so I got to. Jen writes... Sacred Spots in Baltimore, the Cal Ripken statue, Marlowe Stanfield's corner, and the spot on Manny Machado's buttocks where his mentor Alex Rodriguez personally injected A-Rod's go-go juice. Go Yankees. Ladies and gentlemen, please, please don't make us read any more sponsorships from Yankees fans. Go to baltimoreonspodcast.com and click on Sponsor a Segment. Thank you very much. The home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman, once again, coming to you live from a conference room at my office. Alan Smith on Amtrak train. What's the train number on that, Alan? One, two, five, I believe. One, two, five. In case uh, Alan is arrested later on, um, you'll you'll all know where to visit him in jail. Just say the... <laughs> Extremely charming podcast host who was recently on Amtrak Train 125. That won't work at all. Um, no, no. But uh, if you were going to meet me at the station, um, it, it, and no, that won't work either. Never mind. No, because they're going to listen to this tomorrow. <laughs> right. Also, I can't imagine you getting arrested on the Amtrak Train for podcasting unless you're in the quiet car right now. Are you in the quiet car? <laughs> Thankfully, no. Okay, good. Well, we're in the clear, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, everything's looking good for episode 51 coming your way next week. Um, Again, we would love for you to get in touch with us and let us know, uh, A, uh, what's keeping you away from Oriole Park if you have the option of going and you haven't been of late, and B, the craziest lengths you've yet gone to to either uh, see a game or watch or listen to one. Um, we also, of course, want to let you know that you can do all of that contacting of us at baltimoreonspodcast.com. Click on contact 
it'll tell you how to do that. And also to let you know that our music, as always, at the beginning is Marshall York with our theme music. We use the song Birdland by Weather Report in between segments. And right now, you're hearing the Black Crows with Kicking My Heart Around. Thank you very much to our wonderful guest, Kelsey Weinrich. Okay, now, Alan, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, that, that sort of does it for me as well. Um, I'm looking forward to being back once again on Terra Firma, or at least Terra Firma non with, with no forward velocity for next episode. In the words of Walt Kelly, the less the firmer, the more the terror. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>